You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. NFC North. Can anybody dethrone the Packers here? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. I'm going to put some mid-show topics right in the beginning here before we get started. Number one, if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Just imagine you can support this podcast right here for just $1 per month. That's it. There's like 18 people in the world that can't afford that, and you're not one of them. So I expect by noon tomorrow, payment in full. Figured I'd try the aggressive, rude route, see if that, just change it up a little bit. I don't know. People respond differently to different things. You know, Dwight Schrute, you just, remember, he just screaming in his face, and then he's like, all right, I, uh, I'll do it. You have one day, or I will burn you to go to the ground. Uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, um... Put up a feedback survey for the network. Um, it's it's real simple. You can find this in the Facebook group. You can find this on my Twitter. None of them are pinned. Uh, the Facebook group might be, but it's out there somewhere. Again, as always, if you ever want anything, reach out to me. But it's very simple. It's just stars out of 10 for each show and then a spot where you can comment your comments if you have any about the shows in there. Just because I want to be able to... The star rating is more for me to see visually. I don't plan on relaying that, but there's some been some really good feedback for me as well as all the other shows that I want to pass along. But um, I was hoping to get a little bit more. You know, I, I one thing I've learned doing this podcast is getting people to do things is nearly impossible. Even when it's like, hey, pristine auction, we've got this awesome signed trophy. If we get like five people to sign up, I'll be shocked. Because... <laughs> 10,000 people will listen to this and five people will sign up. But um, kicked it over to Patreon, 230 some odd people over there, and I think maybe 10 responded. Put it in the Facebook group, has almost 2,500 people in there, maybe another 10. Put it on Twitter, 6,000 followers, maybe another 10. <laughs> so we're rocking like a, uh, on a per thousand basis, like a one or two per thousand hit rate. But if you wouldn't mind, I mean, it, you know, if you don't have any thoughts or whatever, that's fine. But the intention really is to improve the shows because we've all been kind of flying blind. Um, you know, with Packernet, I don't really have to worry about it as much because it is what it is and it's a proven concept at this point, right? People listen to it. But now that we've added new shows, it's really hard to gauge how much of the attention is toward each show and how much is liked and disliked and what features and aspects of these shows are liked and disliked. And I'm even feeling that as I've started Packernet After Dark. I have no idea if. Nine out of every 10 people are just Packernet listeners saying, can you stop with this idiocy? I don't know. Or if people like it, what do they like and what do they don't like? If people don't like, what do they not like? Or I've even had some people say, I tried it, but then it was so stupid, I stopped listening. And it's like, well, good to know, because I need to reach out and be like, hey, just so you know, a lot more serious phone calls lately. You know, I mean, just little things like that. And again, I think there's been good nuggets for each of these shows, and I would like to, as soon as possible as the season gets started, get these messages relayed to the group so we can kind of develop a plan moving forward. But um, I would like a tad more feedback if we could get it. And finally, FertileGroundRanch.org. There are links to support the ministry um, on my Twitter and my Facebook. 
again, my dad has started a ministry to um, help people that need help, basically. And so this is going to be something that um, people are actually going to be able to live on the premises. It's almost, in a sense, if I could compare it to anything, it's like a rehab center. But obviously, it's, it's different. You don't have to be down and out, and addiction doesn't have to be the issue. It is a discipleship ministry. But um, again, just getting it off the ground after, man, 15 years of, of putting in work on this thing. So any and all help would be appreciated. All right, let's get it shatted. What I want to do today is what I've said I've been, been wanting to do for some time, and I'm not allowing myself to get distracted. I almost did. I was putting in a lot of work on a research project and all this stuff, and I just finally scrapped it because I'm like, I'm not doing this. We need to stay focused. So we're going to look at the NFC North. If you listen to Packernet After Dark, I think two days ago or something, um, had a caller call in and... Um, Essentially, the question was, describe the defense, how it's different, and how those changes make the team better. I want to do something similar for the rest of the NFC North, because I think we think we know these teams, myself included, right? And a lot of that is based on what they were last year, but a lot of changes have taken place, especially for the Bears and the Vikings. There was that graphic that I had highlighted not too long ago saying like 19 of 53 players remain from last year's squad for the Chicago Bears. So lots and lots of differences. Um, some of these things are going to be better. Some of these things are going to be worse. And I'm going to try to be unbiased, as unbiased as I can. The same thing I've always done, just like with the, the Packers, right? Biased Packers media will tell you that Jaron Reed is a massive upgrade. And I'm looking at it going, mm, I don't know. I mean, it can be just like other guys can be, but there's nothing I can look at to tell you that it is. Biased Bears media will tell you that Alex Leatherwood is going to become some kind of a phenom despite the fact that he was discarded like garbage because he kind of was biased Vikings media is going to tell you that, well, actually, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I haven't heard a lot of positive stuff about uh, uh, Blacklock or Jalen Rager, but the bottom line is there's nothing special about those guys. But at the same time, not everything is bad about those teams either. There are some things that are potentially improved, et cetera, et cetera. So um, what's different and what are my thoughts about the differences? But just honesty, and I, I, you know, aside from my opinion, I'm going to give you all the data that I can to make your own decision on it. So we should probably start with the Detroit Lions as the team that people care the least about. Although it's worth certainly looking at, and not only because they're in the NFC North, but people seem to have a lot of opinions on who's going to end up being fourth in the division, third in the division, whether or not the Lions are going to win three games or thirteen games. It's only crazy Lions fans that think that, but still, a lot of hype or lack thereof, for the Detroit Lions. But let's just see what the team is. So going through the roster, Jared Goff um, was the quarterback, is the quarterback. He completed 67% of his passes, 6.6 yards per attempt, 19 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, um, 12 big-time throws, 18 turnover-worthy plays. Not super great for Mr. Jared Goff. It was funny, I was actually watching a Lions YouTube video, and he was real mad about somebody that said Jared Goff can't throw the deep ball. So he goes through and he starts proving him wrong and he goes back and he looks at things like PFF and some other stuff, mostly PFF. Um, and he's looking at like 2017. I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then he goes to 2018 and proves again that he can do it. I'm like, okay, so he's going to go through every year. And the funny thing is, once he gets to, I think, 2019, it starts to dip and he's like, yeah, but that's because of this. And then in 2020, it falls off again. Well, yeah, but that's because of this. And in 2021, I looked at it myself. I don't even know if he got to it. He was one of the worst 
like deep ball. I don't remember exactly what the stat was, if it was the grades or whatever. Point is, though, somebody made a claim that this dude doesn't have an arm and can't throw a deep ball. And the best retort is, well, he did it like five years ago. And every year since that he can't do it is because of some random excuses that I made up. So <laughs> it's pretty ugly, man. Jared Goff, it's just, it's not, um, it's not super working. And I suppose we could pretend, you know, hey, we've seen it in the past. I mean, even last, even as things started to decline, because remember, he had a big breakout year in 2018. That's when everything was clicking with McVay and the entire offense and everything. But it was, it was that big outlier year that I talk about that every, or not everybody, but a lot of guys have. If you remove that and remove year one with, I don't even remember the coach, but he was garbage, and remove Detroit, his three years are 73, 72, 71. So in my mind, that is that is golf, right? Year one didn't count because he was a rookie. He sucked and he was with in like the worst offense of all time. Big question mark on Detroit because we don't exactly know what to make of the situation. Was this a one-year outlier in a new system, whatever? I don't know, but... I think baseline L.A. Jared Goff was low 70s, 71, 2, and 3. Can he get anywhere near that in Detroit? Was he entirely scheme-dependent, slash Cooper Cup-dependent, <laughs> slash Robert Woods-dependent, et cetera, et cetera? Here's the biggest thing that I would point to, and it's one of the positives for, for example, Justin Fields, and that is, look at the end of the year, did things get better? The answer is no. He was so wildly, consistently average it's kind of crazy. What are those things called? Uh, anagram, parallelogram, something. I don't know where it's the same front ways and back. I mean, if, if you fold this thing in half, it looks almost identical. 66, 59, 63, 62, 50, 53, 63, 63, 44, 67, 59, 55, 62, 67. That's his season. Passing grades are even more wildly consistent. 65, 64, 65, 66, 50, 54, 65, 62, 43, 66, 63, 54, 61, 66. He's... He's the most consistently average nothing ever. What I'm saying is I expect him to stay exactly the same. So no change there for Mr. Jared Goff. Wide receivers. Last year, his number one wide receiver was Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't expect that to change, especially since Amon Ross St. Brown came on to the scene kind of late. The first time the guy hit double-digit targets was in week 13, and he never went below it through the end of the season. In fact, the week prior to week 13 against Chicago, he had four targets. Strangely enough, there is almost a direct correlation between his targets and his grades, which I guess isn't that strange. If uh, Depends, cart before the horse, chicken, or the egg. If you're playing better, you get more targets, I suppose. That kind of makes sense. Uh, anyways, St. Brown really didn't uh, take off until week 13. He had some good games mixed in, but a lot of bad games. 50-40-50, 70-70, 60-40-70, 60-70, 60. After that, though, week 13, when the spikes, the, the spike in targets, spike in receptions, spike in yards, spike in touchdowns, spike in gray, everything happened starting week 13 against Minnesota. Thanks a lot, you bunch of jerks. 71, 71, 78, 80, 88, 90.6. I mean, that arrow just went straight up. Almost sad they didn't go to the playoffs just to see how high that thing was going to go. By the way, that was against the Packers, but hey, we weren't even trying, so shut up. And let's not forget it was the Vikings that started this whole thing. Um... Now, Amon Ra was largely a slot receiver last year. So the assumption would be that DJ Chark, and I believe, man, they didn't carry, they've only got five wide receivers right now. Granted, uh, what's his name? Jamison Williams should be coming back at some point. But DJ Chark and I believe Josh Reynolds right now are the top wide receivers uh, as far as the boundary guys. 
Jamison should take over for Josh Reynolds at some point. And then you've got TJ Hawkinson. So this is going to be your group. And and I'm quite positive Amon Ra will take over when they do t- two wide receiver as opposed to three wide receiver. So it'll be Chark and St. Brown, Chark, Reynolds, and St. Brown when they go three wide receivers. This really isn't all that new aside from DJ Chark. Again, Amon Ra was already there. TJ Hawkinson was already there. He had a 68 overall grade, nothing super fantastic, 583 yards and four touchdowns. He did only play 12 games, and we know there's a lot more upward potential there for Hawkinson. But uh, then you got Josh Reynolds, guy that only played seven games, but uh, 33 targets, 26 receptions, 157 yards, no touchdowns, 69 overall grade. So right now, as far as the weapons are concerned, I have a question mark on Amon Ra. Just because we saw a really good, what, five, six-week stretch? It's hard to believe as good as it was that it was a complete fluke, but I also can't imagine he's going to pick up and just be like 90s from here on out because that's where he ended up. So Amon Ra is good. I don't know how good. Hawkinson is is good, but I think overrated, and we haven't really seen that full potential yet. And I don't know that we're going to just because he was drafted early. And then, of course, there's DJ Chark, who's the six foot four, 200-pound speed guy, which a lot of teams, including the Packers, seem to want to get that guy. The Jaguars had him, decided to move on from him. Um, he only played four weeks last year after an injury. He's already 26 years old. He did have a pretty big 2019 season, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. So he's got that potential. Again, he is a deep threat, but a good, not great receiver. Definitely don't think it's a terrible uh, pickup compared to a lot of the names thrown around by a lot of other teams in the NFC North, Jalen Rager, maybe even uh, Sammy Watkins, if we're being honest. Chark makes a good amount of sense, especially considering he's a younger guy. Don't know if you've fully seen his potential. Again, 6'4", 4'3", 4'4", speed. Does have some drop issues. But overall, I don't think there's any doubt that the the receiving options have improved, especially when Jamison comes back. And I don't know if Jamison's going to be any good. I have no idea. He might be a complete bust. But even still, you had three quarters of a season with subpar Amon Ra, TJ Hawkinson, which again, they still had, DeAndre Swift, who they still have. And after that, it was Khalif Raymond. And after that, it was Josh Reynolds, and then Jamal Williams, and then Kaderil Hodge, and then Trinity Benson. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's not good. I mean, th- those are sorted by how many targets they received. So there's every reason to believe that their passing offense should improve. Nothing, I don't think anything got worse, but we have a better version of Amon Ra, and probably two additionally upgraded wide receivers. And similar to what I've said about the Packers, I think TJ Hawkinson benefits from that as well, especially when you have a lot of speed on the outside and everything else. It opens things up and allows him to work the middle of the defense. You know, Baltimore, for example, they 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 don't have much, but they got a real good tight end and they got a real good speed guy, or at least they did, and they were able to make it work with that. Um, looking at the offensive line, left tackle this year presumably is going to be Taylor Decker. Last year, same thing. I mean, Penny Sewell did play a decent amount at left tackle as well, but Taylor Decker played about half the year there, just as many snaps as Penny Sewell did. Taylor Decker's a good a good football player. There's no real change there. He's not old. I mean, he's 28 years old, so he's not necessarily old. Um, he kind of had a big spike year in 2020 and then kind of regressed. But he re- again, it regressed back to what his norm is, which is about 70 to mid-70, 75-ish. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in that range again. Top 20 offensive tackle, solid. Left guard last year was Jonah Jackson. Left guard this year, Jonah Jackson. Jonah Jackson, by the way, um, I forget who it was, was talking about two of the most underrated guards in football. One of them was John Runyon, and the other was Jonah Jackson. Jonah Jackson was a third-round pick. He jumped from 55th overall to 24th overall via PFF. 57 overall grade to a 69 overall grade. That's a big jump. I wouldn't be surprised if he takes another step forward and is sort of comfortably in the 70s. Now, the, the best thing about Jonah 
from our perspective, as opposed to what we have in John Runyon, is that his weakness is pass blocking. Listen, I'm, I'm congratulations that you're a really good run blocker, 76 overall grade, but 56 is not great. But again, I would expect him to get a little better, which means I, I expect slight improvement so far on the offensive line. At center, they have Frank Ragnow. Now, Frank actually only played four games last year before getting hurt. I believe he's back to full strength and ready to go, which sucks for the rest of the NFC North because he is maybe the best center in all of football. So again, that is a massive improvement. The guy that played the most at center was Evan Brown, who had a 66 overall grade, gave up a sack, three hits, four hurries, eight total pressures, which is a lot for a center. A lot of the pressures kind of come from the outside and then slowly work their way in. Tackles give up more than guards. Guards give up more than centers, generally speaking. There's also Ryan McCullum, who played in four games. And just in four games, he gave up two sacks, five hurries, seven total pressures. One less pressure than Evan Brown did in one-third the amount of games. So they had some disasters at one of their strongest positions. So that is a massive upgrade. Not only is it solid, it's way better than what we saw last year. At right guard, it was almost exclusively Vitae, a little bit from Tommy Kramer. Vitae is better than Kramer. This year, same thing. Halapolovati Vitae. Now this guy is all over the map, so I can't really project anything. He is 29, so he's kind of getting up in age, but not enough that I would say, especially for an offensive lineman, I expect regression. But just tracking his grades, 68, 59, 48, 75, 60, 68. So um, good, mediocre, bad. Good, mediocre, good. So he fluctuates from average to good. And again, I, I, I think having better players around him is going to help. Granted, two years ago when he had the best center in football was one of his down years, and then last year when he didn't, he was one of his good years, so I don't know. But I would lean toward he'll be fine. And then Panay Sewell over at right tackle, which is where he played last year, aside from when he slid over to, um, to play left tackle. Now, when he slid over to play left tackle, Matt Nelson came in. Matt Nelson is not good. Matt Nelson had a 50 overall grade, gave up 34 hurries in just 13 games. Penny Sewell um, gave up 35 playing left and right tackle, but he's going to be locking down the right side. Obviously, injuries can happen, whatever, but as of right now at full strength, this is a dominant offensive line. I'm not going to say best in football because I keep saying that, and then I go look at other teams like the Eagles, and it's like, ooh, ooh, I don't know. But, I mean, it's, it's just, it's great from end to end. It is better than the Packers' offensive line, and it's not even close. I, I think David Bakhtiari edges out um, uh, Taylor Decker. Um, I think our guy only beats out Jonah Jackson because pass blocking is more important. John Runyon does. Center, we get smashed. Even if uh, Josh Myers takes a giant step, he ain't going to get there. Right guard, I would bet on Vitae, but I don't know. If Vitae has a down year and, and whoever we have playing right guard takes a step, I don't know. Um, but even at right tackle, I would probably take Penny Sewell over Elton Jenkins. I know that's blasphemy, but as a rookie, one of the greatest offensive tackle prospects to ever come out of college football, had a 77 overall grade, even after a really slow start. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Elton played a half a season, and he had an 82 overall grade, which is higher. It, it is. And it's primarily pass blocking, so I, I probably should just give it to... I'm just saying... Sewell is a different animal, and he figured it out halfway through the season, and uh, if he ends up edging out Elton Jenkins, and we might be talking about the number two and number six offensive tackles in football. I'm not worried about Elton. I'm just saying, real good. So, I again, improvement. Left tackle, they're getting Taylor Decker back. 
Now, that's maybe a lateral movement because Pene Sewell came in. But, okay, left tackle is the same. Left guard gets better because I expect improvement. Center is a massive improvement because Ragnow comes back. Right guard stays the same. Right tackle gets massively better, not only because Matt Nelson, who is trash, gets replaced by Penny Sewell, but I expect Penny Sewell to be better this year than last year. I think it's going to be an elite offensive line. So pretty garbage quarterback. Decent wide receivers, maybe, and maybe not early on. Real good offensive line. And then running the ball again, they got Jamal and DeAndre Swift, and I'm I'm just not super high on I mean, DeAndre's supposed to be the star. And as I've said, we, we went and did a deep dive on on uh, DeAndre Swift just because people were hyping him up and I wanted to take a look at it. And I realized I was even higher on Swift than I should have been. Point is, he's kind of a terrible football player, which is a shame for the Lions because they have a good offensive line and they should be able to take advantage of it. And they probably will to some extent. I mean, Swift had 4.1 yards per attempt. I'm sure a lot of that is on the back of the offensive line. But what I learned about DeAndre Swift is he is a guy that makes people miss. And so the, he's, he's largely a receiving back. But that doesn't mean, like we have with Aaron Jones, running routes deep down the field, catching those one-handed sideline catches. I'm not talking about that. Aaron Jones is better at that than Swift is. Swift is a guy they throw to behind the line of scrimmage, makes five guys miss, and gets 20 yards. He's, he's a weird like running back, wide receiver hybrid. He's not a great running back when you have to put him in a mess between an offensive line and a defensive line. He's not a great receiver when he has to run routes down the field. He's not. Terrible in man coverage, all that stuff but he's real good at making like DBs miss. So they throw it to him behind the line of scrimmage, out in space, and he makes it work down the sideline when he doesn't have to deal with linebackers and, uh, I mean, assuming he can beat them, and he he does because he's fast, not dealing with linebackers, defensive tackles, etc. He makes DBs miss. So he's he's a rare breed that, that gets a lot of highlights, which is why he gets as much hype as he does among Lions fans, but he's not good. Uh, Jamal Williams seems to be a better running back. He had a better rushing grade. He had more rushing attempts. Um, didn't have as many yards, which sounds counterintuitive, but but I think DeAndre Swift is going to be the guy that's going to, if somebody gets a big play, it's going to be Swift. Jamal is never a big play guy. Jamal will smash forward for four yards and go down consistently, but he will do it. Just as an example, Jamal Williams, his longest carry was 20 yards. DeAndre Swift, his longest carry was 57. So I think Jamal gives you a more consistent down-to-down, rush-to-rush production. Swift will not, but he'll get you that home run hit. How many carries of 10 or more? Remember, Jamal had two more carries. So let's just say they had the exact same amount of carries. How many carries of 10 or more yards did Jamal get? 13. DeAndre Swift, 21. What about 15 or more yards? Jamal William, 2. DeAndre Swift, 15. So that's what it is. So the problem with the Lions, which doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I think it's a great thing how they're building moving forward. They're doing a great job of building the trenches which is what they just set out to do. But they're taking their sweet time here, and I think they need to speed it up a little bit. Because the turnover happens too fast. By the time you start to put all these pieces together and find a quarterback and find a running back and find all these wide receivers and everything else that you need, not even starting on the defense yet, some of these great pieces you found along in in the trenches are going to be going bye-bye. right? I mean, Taylor Decker ain't going to be here in three years. Vitae is not going to be here. You know, I mean, Jonah's great. Ragnar's cool. You know, Sewell is great. That's three guys. That's awesome. But you're going to start losing guys. If you're losing guys faster than you're bringing them in, you're going too slow. And I know you got a lot of building to do, and that's cool, but um, it's been a couple years now, and so far it's, it's all just congrats on the trenches. It's not good enough. 
So, I mean, they, they have a really good offensive line to protect a subpar quarterback and open up holes for really bad running backs. No offense to Jamal, but that's what it is. But the benefit for the Lions is they're just competent enough to win football games and to score points. You know, the wide receivers are, it, it's a decent group. The quarterback is decent enough. The running backs are good enough. And they've got an offensive line that stitches it all together. The quarterback's going to have time, which takes some pressure off. I mean, every quarterback is better when there's no pressure. So you're going to get a better version of Jared Goff than you're going to get of, of Justin Fields, because Justin Fields will be under constant pressure. I don't care what Bears fans say. All things being equal, I don't know who's a better quarterback. Probably Justin Fields. If, if neither of them ever saw pressure ever, I'd probably take Fields. But given their situations, probably give me Goff. Goff in a clean pocket compared to Justin Fields under pressure, I'll take Goff. So he's going to have pressure. His wide receivers are going to have more time to run their routes. And the running backs, as subpar as they are, are going to be able to operate in as optimal a system as you can imagine. And it's tough. It's tough on defenses. And we just look at the Packers. I mean, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you've got a really good defense, but you're struggling to rush the passer and your corners have to cover for kind of a long time, it makes your defense not look super great, which in turn makes the other team's offense look actually quite good. Like, dang, man, they kind of took it to them. I thought they had a good defense. It's that freaking offensive line, which is why I don't know why they don't get more credit. Offensive line is, is so insanely critical. And everybody wants the wide receivers and the running backs and the give me a great tight end. And obviously a quarterback is important, but it's like offensive line is an afterthought. I don't, I don't understand it. Can neutralize an entire defense with a great offensive line. And again, tight end we kind of already discussed stays the same. So let's flip over to defense real quick. Start on the interior. Um, so last year, top interior defensive tackles, Nick Williams, Michael Brockers, a little bit of a drop down. You get sort of that second string with uh, Alim McNeil and Levi and Uzurike. Then you get third string John Penasini with 276 snaps. Everybody else was sub 100. Bottom line, though, none of these guys are any good at football, period. In terms of total snap counts, here are the grades going from most snaps to least 40, 50, um, 60. 43, 54. Garbage. This year, how much has changed on that interior? Well, it, it hasn't. Demetrius Taylor is the only draft pick, quote-unquote. He's an undrafted free agent out of App State. But we're looking at the same collection of just awful things. Michael Brockers, who ranked 103rd out of 188 defensive tackles. Levi Onwuzurike, who ranked 99th. Alim McNeil, 54th. Now, Levi and Alim McNeil were both draft picks last year, second round and third round, so every reason to believe they take somewhat of a step. It doesn't have to mean that they're good at football, but um, almost competent is possible. It's within reach. So I'll say this. I would expect it to get slightly better, but not much. In addition to that, you do have Hawkinson, which maybe helps free up some things. Probably not much, though. And the only reason I say that is because I doubt very much attention to offensive lines was given to anybody along that defensive interior anyways, so it's not as though he's drawing away attention. All the attention has always been on the edge for Detroit. So that is still a problem. I know I said they're working on the trenches. They are, again, very slowly, because that brings us to the edge. Obviously, the main focus here is Aiden Hutchinson. A lot of good reports about Aiden in the preseason. Don't know exactly how much is going to translate or what it's all going to mean, but Sounds like he's looking quite good. There is your edge upgrade. Last year, their number one edge rusher was Charles Harris. 
decent football player, primarily a pass rusher, not great in run defense, not great in coverage, obviously. Uh, why they even made him do that, I don't exactly know. Quite a lot, actually. But uh, as a pass rusher, nearly an 80 overall grade, 52 pressures on 447 attempts, eight sacks. Um, so presumably it stays that way. And, and and I've been saying this, that the the Lions just get so much general disrespect. Anytime you want to put them highly on any list, people kind of scoff. I think they have a pretty solid pass rush group. It's not impossible they have the best group. Now, it's not likely. I think the Packers end up having that. But we don't know what Aiden is going to be. And it's entirely possible that Harris has a better year pass rushing than Preston does. I s- well, I was going to say, I certainly put him ahead of the Bears and the Vikings, but I don't necessarily know that because I'm not sure what the Bears and Vikings are going to offer either. But they're, they're in contention. It all really comes down to Aiden and what he's able to do. I mean, if he comes in with a 14, 15% pressure rate, you know, just a, a dominant like a Bosa coming right out of the gate, then yeah, that, that sucks for all of us. If he doesn't, then whatever. But Again, slowly building the trenches. I think they got the offensive line figured out. They've got the edges fairly well hammered out. It's actually quite similar to where the Packers are at, where you got one young stud, maybe. And then you got another guy who's pretty good. The stats are solid. Don't really know that he's going to be able to bring bring that consistently every year, but there you go. Um, Corner. Last year's number one corner was Amani Arawarie. That's going to largely stay the same. Um, The fact that... Everybody else is fighting for second behind Amani Arawarie. Kind of sets the tone for what this team is. 59 overall grade, 60 coverage grade, 57 run defense, 48 tackling. Amani, very, very average. Um, He had 11 missed tackles. Almost 17% of his attempts were missed. Gave up 41 of 69 passes for 582 yards, two touchdowns. He did have six interceptions, which is, you know, obviously when you have four, five, six, or more interceptions, you seem like a great corner. Um, But again, I'm not massively impressed by interceptions. Uh, But he did have six interceptions, five pass breakups, so those numbers alone really highlight him as a great corner. But I think aside from the six interceptions, he was a pretty subpar player. In fact, if you again, like with a lot of these guys, if you take away the interceptions, what happens to his grade and everything? Is he playing in the 40s or or low to mid-50s? Probably. Um, after that, they had AJ Parker, Jerry Jacobs. These were kind of the next couple guys. It looks like this year you're going to have Mike Hughes in the slot and Jeff Okuda did end up winning that job. Now we can get on the Jeff Okuda hype train if we want to. Um, congrats to him for winning that job again, behind Amani Arawarie, who was a 2019 fifth round pick. That's not very good. And by the way, his competition was a 2019 third round safety in Will Harris. We can get on that Okuda hype train if we want to. I mean, he was the highest graded guy on their defense in the preseason, so there's that. Four targets, three receptions, 23 yards, and a pass breakup. Only guy in the 80s. Although if we focus too much on the preseason, then we have to say that Aiden Hutchinson is going to be garbage because he was <laughs> he was 65 overall grade, two pressures in the sack on 20 attempts. Whatever, your choice. You can, you can figure that out. I'm not overly impressed with Jeff Okuda. Um, as a rookie, he had a 42 overall grade, um, just really, really bad. And then last year he only played in one game. So he's been injured this whole time, but in that one game, he had a 53 overall grade. So it was not a good, good game for him. Hughes, I think is, is probably the one upgrade. He played three years in Minnesota, was not good. Minnesota let him go. Kansas city picked him up. He was solid. Here's the problem though. 
right? If we just look at his PFF grade from last year, 80 overall grade, dang, they got a stud. But again, three years in Minnesota, he was not good. He spent one year in Kansas City, and Kansas City's like, nah, we don't really want him back. So again, take it for what it's worth. I'm still going to call it an upgrade. He's a veteran. He performed well in Kansas City, better than anything else they've got. But um, it's not it's not a good group. I'll call it an improved group. It's not a good group. Linebackers last year, Alex Anzalone. Not only did they have maybe the worst defensive tackle group, I think they had the worst linebacker group as well. Alex Anzalone, 35 overall grade. Then Jalen Reeves-Mabin, 55 overall grade. Then Derek Barnes with a 30 overall grade. Those are their three top linebackers. Horrific. As of right now, it looks like not much has changed. PFF thinks it's going to be Anzalone and Barnes. They're arguably their two worst linebackers, not including Jared Davis, who wisely didn't play a ton. Those two are going to be starting. If you look at our lads, they have Alex Anzalone and Chris Board, who came from Baltimore. He had a 53 overall grade, so he's not good. It's just, it's, it's a horrific group of linebackers. The highest run defense grade of any of the linebackers that might start any significant amount of time is a 53.8 overall grade by Derek Barnes. Highest. The next highest is a 42.9, then a 31.7, and then a 28. Coverage, highest grade, 58.5 by Chris Board. Then it's a 50.2, then it's a 48.3, then a 30, then a 27. Horrific linebackers. Now, to be fair, it was Anzalone's worst year of his career, but he's never really had a good year. So I don't really care if he takes a step forward. It's not going to be good, especially since it's the exact same team. Um, And again, Board is really the only upgrade that they had aside from sixth-round pick Malcolm Rodriguez. And hey, as bad as everybody else has been, who's to say Rodriguez doesn't get a shot? If he can be slightly sucky, I think he can win the number two job. Um, And then finally, safety. Kirby Joseph they drafted in the third round. So that's a thing. Last year, Will Harris and Tracy Walker, which strangely, I actually really liked that duo of Will Harris and and Tracy Walker. Tracy Walker had a great first two years, but um, things changed and he did not change with it. Um, Will Harris, similarly, I really thought Will Harris could be kind of a good football player, third round pick. 55, 50, and 42 are his grades over the three. So he's, he's trending in the wrong direction. So it's been bad. It's been real bad for these guys and um, and their ability to do anything. And again, they tried Will Harris at corner because it's just not working where they got him. It seems, according to our lads, that they're going to go with Tracy Walker and Deshaun Elliott as their safeties. Deshaun Elliott, formerly of the Baltimore Ravens. So this is one of their big acquisitions, one of the few that they've made to uh, you know bolster their team. Which again, this is another thing that I've said about all the other teams in the division. Win now looks like going out and getting these big-name free agents to try to win and all that stuff. If you're not really doing that, it's because you're not trying to win now. You're building for the future. The Lions, the Bears, the Vikings, they certainly seem to be building for the future, especially the Lions, and good for them for at least recognizing it. Some of these other moves these other teams are making are kind of like kind of like halfway in between. you got to pick one. But Deshaun Elliott's not terrible. He was a sixth-round pick in uh, 2018. 70, 70, 65 are basically as great. So he's decent enough. I mean, he's probably on par with what the Lions, um, what, you know, it's what Walker was last year, 64 overall grade. So mediocre safeties, assuming Elliott doesn't come to Detroit and fall off like half the guys that do, especially on defense. 
So look, overall, the offensive line was good. It got a lot better. Quarterback is still mediocre. Wide receivers are slightly better and somewhat decent. The running backs are not good. The edge rushers are better than I think people expect, but the interior and the linebackers are maybe the worst in football. When you're looking at defensive tackle and linebacker, the interior of this defense is horrific. The corners are bad. The safeties are maybe average. It's still a bad football team. What can you do with an offensive line and pass rushers? Not a ton. Not a ton. So the biggest thing that they can really do is, is hope that they hit on these wide receivers. You know, if, I mean, if you get St. Brown to really start cooking, if DJ Chark can fit in here and if Jamison can come back and, and make an impact, then you get Hawkinson working in between. You really start to focus on the pass game. Maybe that opens up for the run game a little bit. So you, you turn this into somewhat of a, um, you know, Division three high-quality offense. And again, you, you have decent enough DBs to not get completely crushed, especially when you get some kind of pass rush to, to get the quarterback to not just wait forever. You got a shot. There's not a playoff team here, but there is an improved team, a slightly improved team. And that's the problem with the, the massive predictions here is, again, what did they win? Three games last year? They were 3-13-1. and one. They won their first game in week 13. I mean, there's this whole thing with this this head coach that uh, gets people all fired up, but that's not good. And to be honest, a lot of these games weren't even close. 33 to 41. The Packers beat them 35 to 17. The Ravens game was close, 1917. And then the Bears, the freaking Bears, beat them 24 to 14, 10 point victory. But I mean, even if you if you, let's push them over the edge on the close games, Ravens, uh, Vikings, um, Steelers was a tie. Let's just call it a win. Browns was close. Bears was close. I guess the Falcons was kind of close. That's that's every single close game last year. We're going to call it a win and then keep all the wins. Puts them at nine. They're not going to win every single close game. Anyways, uh, I'm going to power through here. No, you know what? We better take a break just in case I decide to bail on one of these teams because we're getting a little late here. But before we take a break, once again, want to remind you, we have partnered up once again with pristineauction.com. They are back on the Packernet podcast. Please remember, most important thing you can remember, they're giving you free stuff. Advertisers don't always do that, and when they do, we certainly want to take advantage of it. This time around, they are giving away a Jordy Nelson signed football championship trophy. So it's a Lombardi trophy with an awesome graphic of Jordy that Jordy Nelson himself signed. Every single thing, including the item that you're going to receive, comes with a certificate of authenticity. All you got to do, head over to pristineauction.com, click register at the top of the page, or just click the link down in the description of this show. When you register, use registration code FAVRE, F-A-V-R-E. That's it. You're done. You're entered to win a free gift. As an additional bonus, when you decide to buy your own stuff and get something sweet for the games that are coming up and they got some awesome stuff, 10 bucks off the first thing you win. Head over to pristineauction.com right now. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, 
kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're going to be faster now. Ready, set, go. Let's take a look at the Minnesota Vikings in the exact same way. First of all, again, we already know Kirk Cousins, same guy. Dalvin Cook, same guy. Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, K.J. Osborne, same guys. Nothing has changed, which, as I said, and I understand new scheme, maybe things are going to get better, but it always annoys me when people are like, the Vikings, you don't understand, they're going to be really good. They got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins. Are you kidding me? Like, no, I'm I'm not kidding you. They had the exact same guys last year. I don't I don't know why that's an argument. I mean, if you're trying to argue for them not getting worse, fine. If you're trying to argue for them having the exact same record, great. But you're not really helping me to understand why they get so much better <laughs> when you give me the exact same guys. So, um, the biggest different w- difference with this group, Irv Smith Jr. is back. I don't exactly know what that means. Again, I'm a little bit higher on him only because he seemed to have kind of a breakout year two, and then he got injured and he was gone and then he came back and it's like, well, maybe is he going to pick that up? Is he going to continue to get better? Is Was that a fluke and maybe the injury is kind of a problem? I don't know. Offensive line. Christian Derisaw is going to be the left tackle. That was primarily who the left tackle was last year, although he was injured for a big part of the year. So again, you can call that improvement because Rashad Hill was horrific. Ali Udo was horrific, primarily a right guard, um, but playing tackle was a disaster. But again, you know, injuries happen. Who's to say somebody won't fill in for Darisaw once in a while? But he did miss a significant... He only played 11 games, so I guess we call that a uh, upgrade. Although against the Packers, it's not because he played in both Packer games, so we don't, <laughs> we don't have to worry about that so much. Um, however, Christian Darisaw, first-round pick in 2021... And he was solid. I mean, again, better run blocker than pass blocker, which is not ideal. I don't know why there's so many teams that have good run blockers that can't pass block to save their lives. Maybe it just seems weird because I'm a Packer fan and the Packers just massively prioritize pass. I mean, I'm sure everybody does. They're just maybe they're just better at it or because they don't care about run. I don't know. But everybody I'm looking at is like, oh, he was pretty good. Yeah, not pass blocking so much. But anyways, again, an entire year of Derisaw. And probably going to be some improvement. I mean, even if you just look at his overall play, I mean, he didn't play until week five or whatever and missed a couple games in between here and there, but he didn't have his first good game until week 11 against the Green Bay Packers. Trash as a pass blocker, but whatever. Since then, he only had one bad game. So it was 73, 71, 81, 76, 50, and then 70. So he didn't figure it out until late, and he stayed figured it out. So probably going to be a pretty clutch left tackle 
for the Minnesota Vikings, if I had to guess. He already was, and he was both times against the... Well, no, he wasn't. That one bad game was against the Packers. <laughs> you could expect that to happen again. But generally speaking, you know, pretty good. Left guard last, last year, Ezra Cleveland. This year, Ezra Cleveland. Um, he's going into year three. He's uh, decent, and I expect him to remain decent. He took a second year... It wasn't a second year leap. It was barely a second year step. It was more of a second year you know, inch, you know, kind of like inch to the side a little bit. Once again, good run blocking, kind of terrible pass blocking. I don't know, man. Just is what it is. I'm just reading it. Center is going to be the massive problem here. Uh, Garrett Bradbury. As usual, 67 run blocking, 43 pass blocking. That's always been his issue. In fact, 43 overall pass blocking is an upgrade uh, compared to what he was, for example, as a rookie when he had like zero overall (laughs) grades. But as a center giving up 26 pressures, that's a lot for a center. The whole thing with Garrett Bradbury is he's really athletic, so his ability to get up to that next level and be disruptive at the second level and things, he's he's special, I guess you could say with that, or, or rare, but he's just, he's too small, and he gets pushed around too easily, and Kenny is just going to feast on his face. As weird as that sounds, it's it's accurate. Um, Aliudo was the biggest problem on their offensive line last year at right guard. They replaced him. They've got rookie Ed Ingram. Based on the preseason, it sounds like he's exactly like everybody else. He was one of the highest-graded offensive guards in the preseason. However, that was entirely based on his run-blocking grade. He actually really struggled as a pass blocker. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what it is. But either way, it's week one against a second-round rookie. It's probably going to be a little bit rough. Uh, and then you get Ed O'Neill. So so the bottom, or Brian O'Neill, not Ed O'Neill, uh, that's a completely different person. Brian O'Neill is, is solid. I mean, he kind of reminds me of like a Riley Reef or something like the Vikings had back in the day or whoever, you know, just a, a guy that's a solid 70 overall quality pass blocker, decent enough run blocker. Um, he's fine and he's going to remain fine. So the offensive line is, again, almost exactly the same offensive line. So it's the same wide receiver, same quarterback, same running back, same offensive line. You did, I'm not going to say upgrade, but you did change to Ingram at right guard. And potentially we'll see an upgrade at left tackle with Darisaw, but it's the same offense. And again, my concern, you know, we changed, therefore we're, we're better. Well, maybe, but you also built this entire offensive line based on what the last guy used to do. I'm just saying, you know, quarterback based on what the last guy did, running back based on what the last guy did. I, again, Justin Jefferson, I'm sure, can handle anything. He's like a Devontae. It doesn't matter what the scheme is, he'll, he'll operate. But, um, yeah, offense is largely exactly the same. Irv Smith is back. Ed Ingram is the new right guard. That's it. On the defensive side of things, defensive tackles. Number one, Sheldon Richardson, he's gone. Sheldon was not super great. Um, I mean, they, they've, they've been making a habit of trying to go out and replicate the success they've had on the defensive front, but have not been able to have since they had it, if that makes any sense. It doesn't. 2017, again, I I talked about it recently. Everson Griffin, Daniil Hunter, and um, heck is the guy's name? Linval Joseph, right? Just elite group of guys. Been trying to replicate that, right? Everson Griffin, not there anymore. Linval, not there anymore. So they keep trying to bring in guys, and it's just not quite the same. And they're doing that again this year. They're bringing in guys and Vikings fans all over again. Oh, he's so good. It's going to be so great. Okay, well, last year's freak, so-called uh, wonderful, amazing defensive tackle, 
With Sheldon Richardson, he didn't do jack squat. He had the most snaps of any defensive tackle, so he was DT1. Um, 37 pressures on 468 attempts, which is pretty terrible. Four sacks, uh, 60s across the board for all of his grades. Next was Armin Watts. 33 pressures, 414 attempts. He went to the Chicago Bears, so their DT1 and DT2 are gone. Then you have Dalvin Tomlinson, who is actually third. Um, 21 pressures on 359 attempts. Again, not good. Uh, Dalvin is a big boy, so you expect him to be able to do big boy stuff like run defense. 68 overall grade is moderate. Don't get me wrong, Dalvin is fine, and Dalvin's still there. He was probably their best defensive tackle anyways between he and Michael Pierce. So they kind of cut the dead weight that they didn't need, and they brought in Dalvin, but or they, they kept in Dalvin. But again, 21 pressures, four sacks, and 360 attempts is not super great. Then you get to Michael Pierce. Michael Pierce was another guy that they brought in. Going to be great, going to be elite, going to be all this stuff. He was good, and now he's gone. And so with all those guys now, they decided to cut everybody, with the exception of Mr. Dalvin Tomlinson, and then the new great freak guy is going to be Harrison Phillips. Harrison Phillips, 80 overall run defense grade, uh, 21 pressures, 243 attempts. So he's clearly more of a run defender than a pass rusher, which makes sense because, again, they had one of the worst run defense teams in football. Again, I'm a little confused. A 4-3 defensive tackle coming over to a team that is switching to a 3-4. So he's not going to be able to help all that much with the adjustment. Although they got Michael Pierce, who I think was a 3-4 nose tackle, brought him into their 4-3 thing last year. It worked out fine, so I don't know. Whatever. Doesn't matter. But that's sort of the big change, and I don't see it as an upgrade. Again, Michael Pierce had nearly an 80 overall grade. Um, I don't think Harrison's going to have that, and even if he does, it's a lateral move. So they've they've got rid of a lot of guys. So remember, remember last year, they had Sheldon Richardson, Armin Watts, Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce. It was It was a star-studded cast. This year, it's down to two guys, and they're trying to pretend one of them is a lot better than he is, and neither of them are really good pass rushers. So did they get better? Did they get worse? I don't know, man. It's hard to... I mean, again, it's easy the next year to say, those guys last year didn't pan out, but this guy's better. So obviously we got better. Yeah, but last year, when you got two additional guys, you thought that was going to make you better, and both of them didn't help. So now you get rid of those two guys, you bring in another new guy, and it's like, well, this guy's better than what those two guys did here last year, therefore everything's fixed. It's not really how that works, man. I mean, just straight up, Sheldon Richardson and Michael Pierce or Harrison Phillips. I, I, I would assume everybody would go with the other two. Just in terms, like last year, if you were to ask which two, which, which group, quote-unquote, would have a better um, season would help a team more. So, I don't know. It's whatever. Didn't do a lot to upgrade the unit. Uh, 2022 fifth-round pick, Esuzi Otomiwu, whatever. Um, so there's... Oh, no, he's he's an edge guy, I think. So nothing was done? Nothing was done. Um, yeah, otherwise they got James Lynch, who is bad. Jalen Twyman, who didn't play a single snap last year. 2021 sixth-round pick. TJ Smith, 2020 undrafted free agent, who's bad. Jonathan Bullard, um, bad at stuff. Ty McGill, also really bad. And then they went out and got Ross Blacklock, which even Vikings fans are looking at that like, what the heck are you doing, dude? That's stupid. But who knows? Maybe he comes in, blows up, whatever. Bottom line is, I'll, I'll grant you that it's the same defensive line, although I think it might be worse. 
because I think Harrison Phillips is going to be worse than Pierce was. But I'll say it's the exact same. So, so far, same offensive line, same quarterback, same wide receiver, same running back, same defensive tackle, and a, and a re-up on tight end. Edge rushers. Daniil Hunter's back. Now, last year, it was primarily DJ Wonham, who's really bad, and now it's going to be Daniil. So I'll, I'll grant you that it's an upgrade just because Daniil's going to be back for a full season, maybe. I'll also grant you that Zadarius Smith is probably going to be an upgrade over, you know, whatever else you got going on. Put it this way, last year, the top two edge rushers in terms of snaps, DJ Wonham and Everson Griffin. So even worst case scenario, I think Daniil Hunter is an upgrade over Everson Griffin, and I think Zadarius Smith is going to be an upgrade over DJ Wonham. However, DJ Wonham is the only guy that played like a, an entire season. Daniil still had a half a season in. So, you know, if you're comparing Daniil and Everson Griffin to Daniil and Zadarius, I don't know that you got better. If you assume full years for both of those guys coming off injuries, then yeah, probably a slight upgrade. But again, I kind of think we're staying stagnant here. Oh, Everson's no good. He da 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 da. Well, 33 pressures on 309 attempts, 63 overall grade. That's pretty on par with Zadarius, I think. I think Zadarius had sub 10% the last time he was healthy and then was out all of last year with a back injury. So yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe a slight upgrade off the edge. But so far, again, pretty identical football team. How about corners? Last year, Patrick Peterson, Mackenzie Alexander, Cam Dantzler with a hint of Bashad Breeland. And by hint, I mean he was kind of the fourth most prominent guy. Peterson and Dantzler, still your top two corners there. And I believe Mr. Chandon Sullivan will be slotted in in the slot, which was Mackenzie Alexander's job. That should be an upgrade, but I don't think it's a massive upgrade. Um, and it depends what version of these guys you're getting. I mean, Mackenzie Alexander at his peak in 2018 was actually a really good football player, but that was kind of a one-year thing. But also last year, as horrible as he was, was also a one-year thing, and he's never really quite been that bad. And it's true that we're comparing just last year or whatever, but Chandon was also kind of at his worst last year. I don't think according to Sam Holman that's true. I, I believe he's the one that was banging the table for Chandon, and we always liked Chandon. He seemed like a solid enough guy, but 55 overall grade is nothing super great. So again, I can grant you a slight upgrade at corner if you want with Chandon over Mackenzie Alexander, but it's it's a completely inconsequential upgrade. So again, pretty identical corners. Linebackers, Eric Hendricks. Yep, same Eric Hendricks. He was the number one linebacker last year, will be the number one linebacker this year. No reason to really expect anything better or worse. It's just the same guy. Last year, Anthony Barr, followed by Nick Vigil, followed by Blake Lynch, blah, 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 blah. This year, they went out and got Jordan Hicks. So there's your big upgrade for the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to go out and get Jordan Hicks. 2015 third round pick. Guy was an absolute stud like five years ago. No, four years ago. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be more correct or exact about it. 2019, 2020, 2021, the guy has done nothing. Now, to be fair, that was entirely with his time in Arizona, so maybe they're going to try to revive his career. He was, he was good in Philadelphia, went to Arizona and sucked it up, um, although he played more prominent role in Arizona also, but maybe that's part of it. He won't have a prominent role here. That's going to be up to Kendricks. I don't know, man. I'm looking at a pretty lateral move here with Barr. I think this is a Barr replacement. I think you can make just as much of a case of a regression as you can uh, of a improvement. So calling that about the same. Finally, safeties last year, 
Harrison Smith is still Harrison Smith, but Xavier Woods, who had a uh, you know, decent career over there, or decent year over there, I guess, is now a Carolina Panther. He's gone. Replaced by Mr. Cam Bynum. Cam Bynum had a good year. Fourth round pick, Cam Bynum. I believe it's going to be Cam Bynum. Solid rookie campaign. Didn't play a ton, but the little bit that he did, he was fine. Now, maybe this is going to go to scene. I don't know. But it sounds to me the much sounds to me the much hyped Lewis scene and the much hyped Andrew Booth, by the way, are not going to be starting. I again I could be wrong, but it sounds like Lewis Scene lost his job to last year's fourth round pick, who played in like three games. And the unbelievably hyped Andrew Booth, who's the greatest cornerback to come out since uh I don't know, Charles Woodson, lost his job to Patrick Peterson and Cam Dantzler, which makes sense because they're paying Patrick Peterson and they're not going to get rid of him, and Cam Dantzler is actually a pretty good corner, and he's not going to lose his job. So they get to sit on the bench, so that's great. Way to go, first two picks. Brian Osamoa, third-round pick, also is going to be sitting on the bench behind newly acquired Jordan Hicks and overrated Eric Hendricks. Fourth-round pick corner, also, obviously, not doing anything. But hey, you got Ed Ed Ingram, your other second-round pick, who's starting, so there's that. Maybe get a little bit of sixth-round pick Jalen Naylor, do some stuff. But anyways, that's it. That's the whole thing. Did they upgrade with Cam Bynum? I don't know. Maybe. We Again, we didn't see much of him. Well, if he's not good, then they're going to put in scene. Okay, is he good? I don't know. Haven't seen him at all. Bottom line takeaway from this is there's... The only thing the Vikings have is new coaching staff. Because new roster is not a thing. A couple new players, that's fine. But I don't see a single thing here that is a major upgrade. Right? It brought in Jalen Rager to do what? To sit on the bench? <laughs> He's not going to take the job away from Thielen or Jefferson. So, you know, the, the bottom line is they didn't really have a lot of bodies at wide receiver, and they wanted Jalen over what's-his-name, Mr. Triple Name. So they pulled the trigger. Congratulations. Maybe someday he'll be there when Adam Thielen leaves. So look, in my opinion, it's the exact same 8-9 and nine football team that we saw last year. It's just a question of, are they going to get better or worse with the new changes in the coaching staff. Everybody assumes better, significantly better. I don't know that that's the case. It, it might be. I'm, I'm guessing if you were to look into it, you'd find that most of the time a coaching change leads to improvement. I'm guessing. I don't know. Chicago Bears, obviously not the Minnesota Vikings. Very, very separate situation. In fact, probably much different than any team in the NFC North in terms of how drastic the changes have been um, for them. Quarterback hasn't really changed as far as the name on the jersey. But the big question is, is he going to improve? Um, Bears fans will tell you absolutely he will. Um, And the primary citation is what he was able to do in the preseason. But I don't know that I necessarily buy that for reasons that should be obvious to most people. Preseason doesn't mean anything. Now, if you can point to specific things that are different, which Bears fans, again, would, and I'm sure a lot of other people would. But here's the other thing. Film people generally tend to be very positive. Most film breakdowns are, look how great this guy is or that guy is. Same thing was done with Jordan Love, right? So Bears fans can point to it all they want. Same film guys went and said Jordan Love looks much improved than everything else. They generally are very positive. They do videos about how certain people, especially certain quarterbacks, look good. Right, Devontae Wyatt video about how he looked good. Quay Walker video about how he looked good. Jordan Love video about how he looked good. Romeo Dobbs video about how he looked good. Nobody put out a video about how, you know, TJ Slayton sucks. <laughs> I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying like that, that doesn't happen. So I don't really care. 
Here's, here's my personal observations. Not a professional one. I didn't even watch all of his throws. I think he did a good job with a very simple situation. If you look at the first couple of weeks, almost all his throws are at or behind the line of scrimmage. The next week, and even somebody did a film breakdown, and this, this was a somewhat of a negative one. So again, some, some will. I think it was a PFF guy or whatever. A lot of the bigger you know, NFL network guys or whatever, those, those guys are doing mostly positive. But um, I think the issues were even the passes that were right were simplistic and late, right? You had so many guys that are standing wide open. And by the time he threw it, the guy was not only open, he stopped and he stood there and he's staring at him rather than the ball got there as he got open. These windows are going to close rapidly. First of all, the pressure is going to get there. He's not going to have nearly this much time in the regular season as he had in the preseason. Despite Bears fans saying, look how good our offensive line is. Everything's great. Everything's fixed. He's going to have plenty of time. It's going to be awesome. That's not the case. There's going to be much more pressure in the regular season. It's going to start week one. So he's going to have to operate in a messy pocket as opposed to a clean pocket. And again, these windows are going to close. I don't think the passes were necessarily as accurate as they were supposed to be. Maybe week three was a little bit better. There was a lot similar to the critiques I had about Jordan Love, I think, in week two or week one or whatever it was when the passes were catchable but not on target. You know, you got guys kind of catching things at their back shoulder, in their back pocket, as opposed to in stride. You know, it's, it's easy enough to throw to a guy three seconds too late when he's wide open and nobody's trying to cover him. You cannot do that when you're playing the 49ers and when you're playing the Packers. You have a very tight window in a very short period of time. That, 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 it's, it's a lot like what Jordan Love was talking about. You got to just trust the process. You got to trust every, the, the timing and everything else, and you just got to let it go. And I don't think that was necessarily what happened with Justin Fields. I think he had time to sit and think. I think he had time to find that guy who was wide open and had a clean pocket to operate from to throw directly to them. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he improves. Again, the biggest thing for me is if you look at his final few games compared to how he started the season, it was massively improved. I mean, his overall, everything was kind of bad. But back half of the season, much better. Just to kind of tell you what I'm talking about, Justin Fields ranked 30th out of 38 quarterbacks last year. Really bad. If you look at, however, week eight on, so halfway through the season on, Fields actually ranked 14th. Now, he didn't play all that much. It's not as though he played every single game. He played 8, 9, 11, 14, 15. And really, the only reason he was ranked quite so high is because against Pittsburgh, he had a 90 overall grade. Otherwise, it was two 70s, a 50, and a 40. So, you know, I mean, it's it's a small sample size that's skewed by a 90, which obscures the two bad games out of five. But still, I mean, you compare the, the second half of the season to the first half, it's still something that points in a positive direction. You're seeing more positive than you were seeing early on. You're seeing higher positives than you're seeing early on. You got the preseason, which, you know, was positive. Again, it doesn't mean a ton. You look at last year's preseason, I think Trevor Lawrence was like the highest, you know, all kinds of nonsense that translates to nothing. So, you know, I, you can make a case for it. I, I, think, I think the positives are majorly overblown by a group of people partially in the media and partially or largely Bears fans that want to believe it. From what I saw in the preseason, which wasn't terrible, it just wasn't enough to say, dang, this dude's taking a step. It's, it's very similar to what happens in college. It's, it's, I think preseason and college are very similar in terms of, you know, once you get to the regular season, the speed picks up and everything changes and everything's harder and faster. And that's what's going to happen. And, and so I don't think, I don't think it's going to go very well, to be completely honest. But we shall see. In fact, that sounds like a fun little project for me to go back and do what I did to Jordan Love, 
uh, for Justin Fields. Just kind of check the passes. But there's that. So it's it's the same, but it's not the same. But I don't know in what way it's different, if that makes any sense. So I, I can't, it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be worse. It's either going to be the same or it's going to be improved. And to what degree, I don't know that it's going to be improved. So I can't necessarily comment on quarterback other than to say, to the best of everyone's knowledge, they don't have a good one. And until he proves he's a good one, he's not a good quarterback. That's just going to be the standard. Receivers, right out of the gate, we're getting off to somewhat of a change. Now, Darnell Mooney, same Darnell Mooney. So that stays the same. He's nowhere near as good as Bears fans want to make him out to be, but he took a decent step from year one to year two, 68 overall grade to a 74 overall grade. He ranked 33rd, so just outside of that number one receiver area. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't at least sustain that, if not take a potentially a, an, an additional step. But again, I see it as largely being the same. The second receiver on the team was Cole Komet. That's still Cole Komet. Um, another guy that Bears fans massively overestimate. They see him as a really good tight end, dominant, going to be elite, whatever. He's been in the league for two years, 57 overall grade and 63 overall grade. Uh, if you just look on a game-to-game basis, the only reason it wasn't much lower is because he had two games in the 70s and one in the 90s, and again, that was against Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh was a big day for Justin Fields and Cole Komet to kind of like have this thing. But Outside of those games, his grades 68, 46, 46, 52, 59, 54, 55, 66, 52, 52, 54, 62, 59, 65. That's it. 612 yards, zero touchdowns. Bear fans are like, well, that's because they were obsessed with putting Jimmy Graham as the touchdown guy in the red zone. Okay. Well, if he stood there and was running routes in the red zone, he certainly had the opportunity to get open and catch his quarterback's eye. Right? So, whatever. Anyways, again, despite all of their screaming that they know he's going to get better, I don't know that. I don't see that. He Again, he did take a step, but if he takes the same size step, it's going to be like a 65-66 overall grade. Nobody cares. He's, a, he's an average tight end on a very subpar team. And he probably will still be receiver two. So I don't think anything there changes. The next receiver on the team was Allen Robinson. I don't know who the next receiver on the team is going to be. According to our lads, that's going to be Equinemius St. Brown. Um, I saw somebody argue with me when I said that. They're like, you're an idiot. You don't. You obviously don't know anything. Equinemius is not our next wide receiver. I'm talking boundary, not slot. I know Byron Pringle's your slot guy. We're not there yet. I'm talking Byron Pringle. or I'm talking your, your boundary guy. Uh, I watched Foz Sports on YouTube break down the roster. He said Equinemius is probably going to be that number two. So... We are going from Allen Robinson to Equinemius St. Brown. I'm sorry. I know Allen Robinson had an off, you know, an off year. No question. He played 12 games. 67 overall grade is not prime Allen Robinson, but this is a downgrade. Allen Robinson on a bad day is better than Equinemius St. Brown. He just is. And this was not a good group of wide receivers last year. This is our first real big change, and it's a downgrade. The only positive here is that Equinemius is probably somewhat happy to be there, and Allen Robinson just did not at all ever want to be there. The next receiver on the team was actually David Montgomery, the running back, followed by Marquise Goodwin. But Tamir Bird was the slot guy. Did not get a lot of action. Now, I don't know exactly what the plan is. I'm guessing you're going to see more Byron Pringle than we saw Demir Bird last year, simply because Byron Pringle is, you know one of the few semi-decent weapons on the team, and you need to be able to feature him when you can. 
But Byron Pringle is going to be an upgrade, but not a massive one. Again, lots of talk about how great Byron Pringle is, and he's so much better than the guy that we got in, in Sammy Watkins, which is really not true in almost any fashion whatsoever, grades, stats, yards, whatever. Although last year he did have 650 yards and eight touchdowns on 74 targets in Kansas City. So Kansas City let the guy go. The Bears picked him up for a million dollars less than we got Sammy Watkins for. He comes in as a slot guy um, that only managed 650 yards and eight touchdowns on one of the most high-powered offenses with one of the most talented quarterbacks in football. He goes to Chicago with Justin Fields. I'm thinking, and I'm just thinking here, he's not going to get better. So his 65 overall grade, 650 yards and eight touchdowns probably goes down in each of those categories. Call it 59, which is what he had in year two in Kansas City. So even that would be impressive. Maybe 500 yards and four touchdowns, best case scenario. So again, I'll, I'll call it an upgrade. If, you wanna, if we want to call it that, we can call it that. Demir Bird had 329 yards and a touchdown. So it's, it's you know, 70 more yards and three more touchdowns and, and, you know, 53 overall grade. I'm saying 59. So you get a slight upgrade there as well. But that's about it. Now, you're also excited about Valus Jones, which really just goes to show that the massive amount of delusion Bears fans are in right now. They, they, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this. And, and listen, I just did the Lions and the Vikings. So it's not like I'm just trashing everyone because their rivals are all this. And it's certainly not because I'm so scared or rent-free or any of that stuff. It's just staggering. You know, again, Vikings fans have brought in a few guys. I can't even trash them because... It's like, oh, wow, you brought in uh, Jalen Rager, and they're like, I know, it's kind of stupid, but it's what we did. Whatever, we'll see how it goes. Ross Blacklock, wow, that's going to be great. Like, yeah, I don't know, like, kind of weird, right? We kind of like the other guy, and this guy doesn't seem good, but who knows? Maybe, you know, we'll see what how he does. It's like, oh, that's, that seems measured. You know, and they're bragging about, like, Justin Jefferson and having a, a, a good offense now that they got this more modern. It's, you know, I can't get super mad at him, but it kind of makes sense, right? Everything seems level-headed. Lions fans, like, yeah, we're still not great, but I think we're going to be better. Yeah, probably. Excited about these receivers and stuff and getting uh, Jamison on the field. Like, yeah, I could see that for sure. Aiden Hutchinson looks good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, you're right. He does look, that looks like, I was actually hoping you wouldn't get him because it seemed like a perfect fit for anybody, especially for you guys. And darn it, you got him. Shucks. Darn golly gee shucks. You know, it all just, everything's just fine. Everything makes sense. I don't know if Packer fans are crazy or not. I, I like to think we're generally measured. You know, I, I think when it comes to a conflict and you listen to what Bears fans or Vikings fans say about the Packers and what Packers fans say about the Packers, I think we kind of make more sense for, for a team that's been 13 wins every single year. You know, all of the way that they describe our team, it sounds like we're a four-win team. You guys suck aside from Aaron Rodgers. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so six wins or how many, how many wins does just a quarterback get? Cause I know it's not 13. Anyways, again, Valus Jones, man, I don't get it. I don't get, I mean, I'm, I've seen everything about it. you. You guys are not, you're, you're going to be stunned. Valus Jones is a stud. Um, somebody just today was talking about, do you think they deliberately hid how fast Valus Jones is so he can take the league by storm? Dude, he is a backup to Equinemius St. Brown. What are you talking about? Listen, and, and here's the thing. This is, this is so easy. All you have to say is, we don't know what he is going to be as a wide receiver. He may not contribute that much, especially year one. But you know what? Right out of the gate, he seems like a really good special teamer. He seems like one of the, he could potentially be one of the better kick returners on day one. And you know what? 
I'm with you. Try to meet me halfway on somewhere sane. Stop saying stupid stuff. He's your fourth wide receiver on a team that has the worst wide receivers in football. Stop saying stupid stuff. Valus Jones and Dante Pettis and Amir Smith-Marset. Good Lord. So, I don't know, man. I, I, if you wanted to say breaking even, you can. But I don't know how Allen Robinson leaves, Equinemius St. Brown comes in, and some nobody slot receiver comes in, and we're going to call that an upgrade, especially when nobody has been on this team before. You have one returning wide receiver, and that's Darnell Mooney. Byron Pringle, a chief. Equinemius is a Packer. Dante Pettis was a Giant. Smith-Marset was a Viking. Valus Jones is a rookie. Every single wide receiver is new. And again, the, the idea that this is a good group, do you know why they keep bringing in all these guys? Because your team sucks that bad. They're so desperate. The same thing they do with their offensive line. We're bringing in new guy, new guy, new guy, new guy, new guy, new guy. New. They're all new because we just, let's find anything, something. I don't care. And then after all that, and you guys are bragging about how good Nikhil is and all that stuff, half of these new guys you bring in get cut, and they still go out and find some random guy out of Minnesota because, I don't know, man, these guys just suck. Let's bring in anybody. I mean, we, we don't want any of them, so goodbye. And here comes Amir Smith-Marset. I'm sorry. I think your wide receivers are worse than last year. They just are offensive line. Last year, Jason Peters, he's a good offensive tackle. That's all there is to it. 77 overall grade, 70 rocking, uh, blo- run blocking, 78 pass blocking. He allowed 28 pressures compared to Larry Borum on the other side, giving up 32. I know he's old, but you let him go, which makes sense. He's 40, but still, Jason Peters is good. He's being replaced by a 2022 fifth-round pick, Braxton Jones. And, and again, this is something else I got into an argument with a Bears fan on Twitter about. You know, well, well, you know, who cares when they were drafted? They can still be good. It's not really the point. The odds of a rookie fifth-round pick coming into the NFL, starting at left tackle, and being really good, is really low. That's a downgrade at left tackle. Cody Whitehair is still Cody Whitehair. Subpar left guard. Sam Mustafer to Lucas Patrick is a big upgrade. Lucas Patrick is a solid football player. He was for Green Bay. We do see a lot of these guys leave and not have quite as good of careers, but you can't really be as bad as Sam Mustafer, so congratulations. There's your first big upgrade at center. Uh, Sam Mustafer to uh, Lucas Patrick. James Daniels. Now, Bears fans will tell you James Daniels was not very good, and Tevin Jenkins is some kind of a freak. James Daniels, 72 overall grade, 73 run blocking, 68 pass blocking. Tevin Jenkins was, not very long ago, a third string offensive tackle. It's not, again, not impossible he comes in and is better than a 72 overall graded offensive guard, but I'm fairly confident this is going to be a downgrade. And yes, I know he played in the preseason for a couple snaps, and yes, I know he's super strong, but guess what? You need athleticism at guard. You need quick, light-footed guys, not inside brawlers. He was moved inside because he's too much of a Frankenstein. He didn't have the athleticism. He's not light on his feet. He wants to stand there and start punching people. Is he going to be able to get up to the next level? Is he going to be able to stretch out wide? Does he have the athleticism to pull? I'm so proud of him that he can stand there and and get into a boxing match. I don't think he's as good as James Daniels. I believe this is a downgrade. Then at right tackle, you had Larry Borum. I don't know if Larry Borum is still there if we're going with Riley Reef. I really don't. If it's Riley Reef, I think it's an upgrade because I think Riley Reef is a decent football player. I think he has been for a while. If it's Larry Borum, then it's still Larry Borum. But 
overall, your team, your offensive line is worse. And it was a bad offensive line last year. Your left tackle is significantly worse. Your left guard is still subpar. Your center's better. Your right guard, I think, is worse. Your right tackle maybe is marginally better. I think guard and center kind of offset. And when you look at your tackles, you've gone backwards. Jason Peters to a fifth-round rookie? No, I'm sorry, especially when you're talking about an offensive line, which is all about the weakest link. You, you got a fifth-round rookie protecting Justin Fields' blindside? I mean, I'll, I'll grant you he must have shown something, at least being better than Larry Borum, because we easily could have put Riley Reef at left tackle. But, man, if you're feeling good about it, if you're feeling comfortable about it, listen, I like Zach Tom. Zach Tom has had a great preseason. I would not feel comfortable with Zach Tom as a starting left tackle. That would make me nervous, right? So, especially if I was the Chicago Bears. Like, if he, if he beat out... David Bakhtiari for the job, which would be impossible, then it's like, okay, dang, that's crazy. This is something really weird, unique, and crazy, and special. Who did Braxton Jones beat out? Kind of nobody. I mean, it's a three-way triangle between Larry Borum, Braxton Jones, and Riley Reef. Those are your three tackles, and it's a matter of which one's the, the, the odd man out, and apparently Borum was the worst of the group. That doesn't mean Braxton Jones is good at anything. Anyways, Running back, the final position, is the same. I don't really see a ton of improvement. The only thing I'll I'll comment here is that David Montgomery had a bit of a standout year in 2020. So, I mean, if you look at it, it was a regression from 2020 to 2021. So maybe it was kind of an outlier, something weird kind of happened. I'm not really exactly sure what it was. Um, But it was, his regression was exactly back to what he was in 2019. So it kind of makes 2020 look like the outlier. But then you look at, well, we got a new offensive scheme, so maybe that's going to help, although the offensive line is still not good, which is not going to help. Plus, there's question about whether this new scheme is actually going to be worse for Montgomery and maybe better for some of the other guys. I guess we're kind of, and this is probably true of every single one of these players, the new scheme and everything complicates everything. And, and the unknowns about all the other positions, you know, what do you say about the wide receivers, especially, let's say, Darnell Mooney or, or Cole Komet especially, with a new scheme, but also not knowing whether or not Justin Fields is going to improve, regress, or get better. And by regress, I know I said I don't think he would. If the offensive line plays bad enough, he can, even if he's a better quality player. There's a ton of questions, and David Montgomery's a big one. But I think, I think, and this isn't really the intention of what I'm trying to do right now, but I'm just trying to think, what do you do if you're the Bears? It's sort of the opposite of, of what I said about Detroit with a really good offensive line. You can kind of do whatever, and it makes it hard on a defense. I would imagine if I'm Chicago, I'm going to try to build a team that's focused on the run, sim- similar to what you do in the pack with the Packers, right? Everything at least looks like a run play, and we kind of build around that. But if you can't do that, and maybe that's why they went with with some brawlers, because we at least want to be able to win in the trenches and scare people with the run, so that we can kind of build off of it, even if that means we kind of suck in pass blocking and we're not good at a, we're not really good at run blocking necessarily. We can kind of at least do it well enough to to build off of this. And this this is tough. This is real tough. I mean, you, you could easily see where this could fall apart rapidly, where we try this thing, it doesn't work. So then we, all right, we can't run the ball. We got to spread it out a little bit. And it just, it's not working because our receivers aren't good enough to get open. Our quarterback isn't a good enough quarterback and our offensive line can't block. I mean, this could fall apart really badly, really quickly. I mean, it really could implode disastrously. Let's look at the defense. This is especially where things got very different. Defensive line last year, Bilal Nichols gone, Angelo Blackson, um, still sort of the guy. He's sort of the veteran guy now, Angelo Blackson. 
But uh, Bilal Nichols, 61 overall grade, not a terrible football player. He Not great last year, but has been sort of a Dean Lowry type for a while and not terrible. Uh, Blackson, 50 overall grade. They retained him. 25 pressures and three sacks on 315 attempts. 51 run defense grade, 35 tackling grade. Not really good at anything. That's their sort of, I guess, top guy right now. Eddie Goldman, um, he's gone. Akeem Hicks was probably their best defensive tackle. I know they say, well, he didn't play last year. He played nine games. That's a lot of games. Half the people we've talked about so far have only played nine games. So you can play that game where that didn't mean anything. He was still your best defensive tackle, and he played a lot, and he's gone now. Guy only played nine games and had five sacks. So Uh, Tonga is gone. Mario Edwards is gone. Marcus Hunt is gone. Damian Square is gone. And LaCale London is gone. In their place, we have a four-man squad made up of, again, Angelo Blackson, and then three free agents that they decided to go out and get. The first is Justin Jones. Again, another guy that apparently, according to Bears fans, is is a massive upgrade. It's not. It is a massive downgrade compared to Akeem Hicks. Remember, Angelo Blackson is already terrible. Justin Jones is sort of the new Akeem Hicks on this team. He was a third-round pick in 2018. Um, he had 18 pressures and two sacks on 286 attempts, which is bad. 55 run defense grade, 34 tackling grade last year, and he only played half a season, just like Akeem Hicks did. So that's not an upgrade, that's a big downgrade. They got Armin Watts from Minnesota. Not Armani Watts. Uh, that's a different guy. Armin Watts. Um, Watts, 33 pressures on 414 attempts and five sacks. So the five sacks, not the worst in the world, but um, again, pressure rate significantly lower than you'd want it to be. You're looking at at least 41 pressures. He had 33. I mean, at a minimum. Remember, 10% is baseline average. I I keep listing all these things and everybody's below 10%. It's it's kind of a ho-hum, like, oh, didn't quite get there. Dude, 10% is basic. 10% is like, I don't suck at football. All these guys I'm listing, especially the Lions and the Bears, that's bad. 10% is not that hard. We've had guys that, you know, Dean Lowry hits it every year. Kenny, even when he's struggling, I mean, he can at least get to 10%. He's more of a 12% type of guy. They're not good at this stuff. 45 run defense grade. So, I mean, he's a guy that's never hit the 10% mark, never been a good run defender. He's mostly a pass rusher that's not very good at pass rushing. And then the fourth guy they picked up was Mike Pinnell. Um, I mentioned I liked Mike Pinnell when we had him. That was, you know, five, six years ago. It was six years ago. And he was fine with the 100 snaps he played. He also went on to play with the Jets and was decent there. But, you know, at this point in his career, he's 31 years old. He's a journeyman backup. Had the worst year of his career last year with Atlanta. But, I mean, he is a pure run defender that hasn't had a good run defense grade since at least 2019, 69 overall. But as a pass rusher... Dude, it's ugly. Four pressures, 90 attempts last year. Three pressures the year before that on 179 attempts. Three pressures. That is a 1.7% pressure rate. That is as bad as I've ever seen in my entire life. So he comes in as a moderate run defender, maybe, assuming he's not still as bad as he was last year. And again, 31 years old, kind of getting to that point. So they got worse. Defensive tackle, they got worse. Edge, Roquan was the top guy. Roquan had a bunch of sacks, and that's what everybody's excited about, right? Problem is, sacks are a fluky thing. We had that same thing with, what's his name? 
I forget the guy's name, but he not a good pass rusher. Everybody, uh, uh, I had it on the tip of my tongue. Tyler Fackrell, right? He had that one year with a bunch of sacks. He didn't improve in anything. His his grade overall, his run defense grade, his pass rush grade, his pressures, all that stuff stayed pretty consistent. His sacks just spiked. Why? I don't know. It's just one of those things, man. When he beat his guy, uh, the quarterback happened to be standing there more often than usual. It's a fluky thing. You know, this has happened to, I mean, Robert Quinn's been in the league a long time. It happened to him one other time. That was in 2013. Otherwise, I mean, he, he's, he, he maybe every other year hits double digits, but then drops off entirely. Um, since 2013, 11, 5, 4, 10, 7, 12, 2 last year with the Bears. Hilarious Bears fans don't remember that. Two sacks, and then this past year, 18. But that's why I don't look at sacks, because it doesn't give a full picture. If you look at the pressures, then you start to see something more consistent, and you get a better idea of what this player is. Sacks come and go. His pressure rate was 11.7. That's fine. It's decent. It's 79, uh, 80 pass rush grade, which is solid. He hasn't had that since uh, 2015. It was, it was decent. But his run defense has been garbage since 2015. So he's not a good run defender. We know that right out of the gate. And considering how bad the defensive tackles are at everything, looking at Robert Quinn can't stop the run, but he can generate some pressures at about 11 12%, which is standard. I mean, Preston Smith can do that. Uh, Sean Gary blows that out of the water. Both of the Vikings pass rushers, both of the uh, Lions pass rushers, I mean, pretty much everybody blows that out of the water. Aiden Hutchinson should beat that. Um, was it Harris on the other side beats that? I think Zadarius and Hunter probably both beat that. Rashawn will certainly beat that. Preston, he's probably going to be in that range, Possib- could possibly beat that. So the point is Robert Quinn is just kind of on par with the rest of the decent pass rushers in the NFC North, probably a step below. But they won't admit, oh, Robert Quinn, he's one of the best. He's better than all. No, he's not. His grades overall since 2016, 57, 58, 69, 68, 61, 69. And I just say that to summarize, because again, I, I've given you the stats. The, the pass rushing is the best thing he does, and he's kind of decent at it. And the run defense is terrible, so overall, eh, that's, their, that's that guy. And again, it stays the same, but it's going to, it's going to get worse because he's not going to get that many sacks. And he's probably not going to have that high a grade because it was, it was sort of an outlier year. Plus, everything's changing. The entire scheme is changing. After that, their number two guy was Travis Gibson. Same thing. That's who their number two guy is this year. Now, Gibson is kind of a curious thing because he took a big step in year two. He had a 46 overall grade, which became a 70. His pass rush grade went from a 67, 63 to an 87. 27 pressures, 229 attempts, 10 sacks. That's pretty solid. Again, it's 11.8 pressure rate. But we also have to, again, acknowledge that he's going to be back to hand in the dirt from an outside linebacker to a hand in the dirt defensive end. So I don't know what to give you about Gibson. Was last year kind of an outlier statistically? Will this help him or hurt him? With the, with the scheme changes? I don't know. I'll call, it a, I'll call it breaking even. You know who the third pass rusher was? It was Khalil Mack. They went from that to Al-Qadin Muhammad. I'm sorry, you can say whatever you want about Khalil Mack. Well, he didn't play that much. He played a half a year, seven games. Well, he, his play was declining. Dude, he's better than Muhammad. I'm sorry. You lose this battle. And then for the Bears now, they go from uh, Bruce Irvin, who was not good, to rookie fifth-round pick Dominique Robinson. And then uh, Jermaine Atachu becomes Kingsley, uh, Kingsley Jonathan. The pass rush gets worse. I'm sorry, it just does. Robert Quinn is going to regress. 
Travis Gibson, again, I, I, if I had to guess, I would say he's not as good, but I'll call that breaking even. And then Khalil Mack, compared to Al-Qadin Muhammad, is moving backwards. The rest of the guys don't matter to me. Probably going to regress there as well, but let's just say they break even. You went backwards. Linebacker, Roquan and Nick Morrow. Last year was Roquan and Alec Ogletree. So I'm not going to get into the whole Roquan thing. You guys think he's a top five linebacker. I'm looking at a guy that can't do jack squat. But um, yeah, he can he can cover a little bit. What about the other guy? Well, Ogletree was terrible last year, just like the rest of the linebackers. And instead, you've replaced him with Nick Morrow. Now, Nick Morrow, 53, 50, 46, and 63, and then didn't play at all last year due to injury, I believe. I'm assuming. I'm not going to look it up because I don't care. If you want to call that an upgrade, I don't care. Go ahead and call it an upgrade. He's not a good linebacker, period. Don't care. Call it whatever you want. Not interesting to me. Corners. Jalen Johnson stays Jalen Johnson. He did improve from year one to year two from a garbage corner to a mediocre corner, uh, or using my Bears translator, from a great corner to an elite corner. The second description is just inaccurate, but that's what they would call it. Again, if he takes a step, fine. He'll take a step to being decent. Second corner last year was Kindle Vildor, who was terrible. This year, still Kindle Vildor. So there you go. Um, And then last year's slot corner, at least for about half the year, was Duke Shelley. Duke Shelley, not a super great corner. Didn't expect him to be. Said he would be, you know, bad, and he was. This year, they've got rookie Kyler Gordon, um, who apparently wasn't good enough to start as an outside guy with against, you know, Kindle Vildor. So they put him into the slot. So we'll see how that goes. You can go ahead and call that a win if you want. I don't care. So you you upgraded the slot corner position. Not interesting. I'm sorry. And then at safety, Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker. This is an area that Bears fans are going to say is a massive upgrade. Um, Eddie Jackson stays. Eddie Jackson, who's bad. Last year, it was Eddie Jackson and Tashawn Gibson. Gibson wasn't great. 51 overall grade. Is rookie Jaquan Brisker going to be better? Maybe. A good performance is about a 65 overall grade for a rookie. So it's a slight upgrade. I'll just gift you that because it's been so bad so far. I'll, I'll grant you Jaquan's going to be better. Kyler's, Kyler and Jaquan are upgrades. There you go. Congratulations. Here's the deal. Quick recap because it's an hour and a half now. Wide receivers got worse. The offensive line got worse. Tight end stayed the same. Quarterback stays the same. Running back stays the same. Defensive tackles got worse somehow. Edge rushers got worse. Linebackers, maybe a minor upgrade. Corners, just the slot may be upgraded. Safeties, maybe Jaquan Brisker is an upgrade, depending on how he plays. This is the thing. Bears fans, will what they, what they consistently will do is say, you know, somebody will say that they're going to win three games or four games or five games, and they'll say, do we won six and we got better? How, how is this possible? You didn't get better. You did not get better. I'm sorry, your wide receivers did not improve. Your offensive line did not improve. Your edge rushers did not improve. Your defensive tackles did not improve. And you can say that all you want. They didn't. They didn't improve. And you can try to hang your hat on rookies all you want. Like, that's going to be some kind of an elite thing. But rookies very, 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 very rarely come in and make some major impact on a team. Unless you're like Aiden Hutchinson. And even that is nobody's projecting the Lions to win 10 more games because of Aiden Hutchinson, right? Nobody. So I'm sorry that your second round slot corner is not going to change a trajectory of your team, but he's just not. So I'm not necessarily projecting three wins, but I am saying that you're going to have to lean very heavily on these new coaches that came in. 
similar to Minnesota, but at least Minnesota State, it's the same team with a better philosophy, supposedly. And if if the philosophy is better and there's no conflict between the, the style of players and the new scheme, then they should be improved. I'm looking at the Bears going, what's what's better? Well, we, we got a better offensive set. Well, first of all, you said that last time, and now suddenly that's the problem. But okay, so you, you got better by getting like the number three or number four guy in, in Green Bay to come over and be your offensive coordinator. Okay. And then your head coach is a defensive coordinator. But at the same time, you still have to be able to make it work. So imagine if Matt LaFleur was less, a lot less good at his job of being Matt LaFleur and had a worse offensive line, worse wide receivers, way worse quarterback, worse running back, potentially worse tight end. Why are you trying to convince me of anything? Why are you trying to tell me anything about how good this offense is going to be or even competent this offense is going to be? Off-brand Matt LaFleur. And remember, Matt LaFleur is number one. The number two guy went to Denver. The number three guy we hired to be the new offensive coordinator. You got number four. Maybe. I don't even know. Maybe the Packers are looking at it like, dude, we got two other guys that would have been better hires than that guy. I don't know. But at best, he's number four in terms of implementing the offensive system of the Green Bay Packers. Fourth best guy you got. If we wanted to keep him, we could have kept him. But we didn't. He wanted to stay. Of course he did. He would love to be the Packers offensive coordinator. We said, no, we're going to go with the O-line coach. He's better than you. Then you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to the Bears because they want me. It's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> then it's like, well, Rodgers is going to be mad. the quarterback coach. And then Rodgers gets like his best friend and his old quarterback coach to come back. And it's like, well, actually, Rodgers likes this guy better anyways. But I wish you the best, man. I really do. Anyways, um, we've got some news to talk about, but we will obviously get to that tomorrow. I got to get you folks out of here. So have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>